Hello, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So today we are going to be talking about uh, programs for pilots um, and those in the commercial uh, carrier industry. And this is a topic that I first picked up on when I went through uh, treatment myself back uh, at Father Martin's Ashley, which is now called Ashley up in Off of Grace, Maryland. And I, I had noticed that within the groups that were there, there were, um, you know, different sort of amongst the patient population, different groups of, of people. Um, of course, law enforcement, which is you know, I was there, there was other law enforcement folks, there were medical doctors, nurses. And then I noticed a, a group of pilots and flight attendants that were there. And for those of you that are not familiar with recovery or have been around recovery, um, it seems like, and I've noticed this has been part of sort of the whole stigma associated with addiction is there are groups of people that really will absolutely refuse to come to recovery groups because they don't know who's there. They, they have in their mind uh, the types of people that come into recovery. You know, a lot of people think that it's uh, homeless folks, people that have criminal records, people that are just downtrodden, which is absolutely incorrect. My, uh, my experience in recovery has been that it's actually quite the opposite, that there's a lot of very successful people that are in recovery. Not that that matters because it doesn't matter, but I'm just, just talking about the stereotype and the stigma that people come to recovery with. And uh, one of the things that we try to do on this program is dispel that myth. And what I have noticed though, in order to get people that are in these communities, whether it's law enforcement, medical, uh, business professionals, bankers, uh, you know, pilots, people in the airline industry, uh, military, to get folks into recovery, uh, in the beginning at least, uh, expose them to other people with very similar backgrounds. And then in time, they, they start working with others. But it, it just seems to be important to have special programs for people in these, these communities. And so today we have a guest, uh, John Taylor is going to be talking to us about the aviation industry because that's the industry that he works in. And, uh, I want to met, I met John through a, a program. I'm in another degree program right now through Hazelden Betty Ford, and uh, I'm working on a degree in addiction and co-occurring co disorders, which John is as well, and that's where we met. And um, just through our association with one another, uh, we, you know, we discuss these things because John and I have uh, a similar background. John and I both were uh, pilots in the military. He was in the Air Force and I was in the Navy. And um, John flew fixed wing aircraft. I flew real aircraft, which were helicopters. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was a real, real, real aircraft. And um, I, I, my, my philosophy is that every jet pilot out there wishes they were a helicopter pilot. That's what I, that's what I keep telling myself for my own self-esteem and, and gratification. But anyway, I want to thank John for joining us today. Welcome, John. Hey, thank you. Thanks yeah. a lot. So um, you and I have met through Betty Ford, uh, the, the graduate program, graduate studies program through Betty Ford. And uh, maybe we start off, John, with uh, so what, what brought you to the program? Why, why are you in this degree program? Well, I, if you had told me a year ago that I was going to be working on a graduate degree in addiction counseling, I would have said, you got the wrong guy. Um, 
but I was, I've been working in the program, the peer program that I've been uh, working in through my airline uh, for about six years. And I got to a point, I went to a Mississippi addiction conference. I live in Mississippi. I went to a, an addiction conference back in March. And um, I had thought about getting a, a certification or a license to become a counselor. Um, but after going to this conference and meeting a lot of different people in the, in the industry and in the field, um, I got a lot of good advice from different people, doctors and uh, psychiatrists and uh, counselors. And they said, if you really want to dig in deep and you really want to get involved, uh, go back to school and, uh, and get a graduate degree. And I was like, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did a little research and uh, the Hazel and Betty Ford School of Addiction Studies came up. And I started digging further and further and I started looking at, um, at financial options. And I uh, researched the um, post 9-11 GI Bill. Um, I thought, well, what the heck, I'm going to apply for it. I'm going I'm to try this. Uh, I applied for that and the doors just started opening. So um, I, I believe that uh, things happen for a reason and, the doors, once those doors just started opening, it was almost like, a, all right, here you go. This is what you're going to do. And next thing I knew, I was enrolled in school. And uh, and I'll be honest with you, it's been since uh, we started in May, and I've thoroughly enjoyed every second of it. So I'm, I'm learning a lot of new things that I didn't know. Um, but I think it's going to make me, it's going to give me a lot of breadth and depth um, in helping pilots in the future. Uh, not only will I just be able to be a peer monitor, but I'll also be able to counsel with them and, and non-pilots as well. Probably. Yeah, and and you know what's funny, John, is that in in my my own world, which is uh, you know where I just retired from the FBI, but I still work with first responders around the country. Um, that that is exactly where I started. I started in my my own community amongst pilots, and then you know, of course, in time, realized, hey, wait a minute, you know what I'm learning applies to everybody. It's not just my community, but um, I think that you and I both are in unique positions where, um, whether whether it's right, wrong, indifferent, it, you know, it doesn't matter. The fact is that uh, when I know when I came to recovery, when I came to recovery. I have to admit, I did look for other people that were in law enforcement. You know, law enforcement's a community that's very closed. You know, I think I, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody that law enforcement people really only talk to other, really only trust. I think that's maybe a better way of putting it, trust mm -hmm. other law enforcement people. And that's who I was looking for. I, you know, if I went to a counselor, if I went to uh, therapy, if I went, you know, basically anywhere, I was always looking for the people that were like me and that went through and could, could understand me, if that makes sense. Because I, because I felt like at the time, nobody could understand where I was coming from because it's just such a unique profession as is, is the military. And, you know, that's what I was looking for. And so that's what I gravitated to when I, when I finally got into long-term recovery and started working with people, I knew that I was looking for that when I came into recovery and I wanted to provide that service. Now in time, in time I've, you know, reached, you know, I am now working with the, the broader society as well, but I do understand how important that that is to those in these these very unique professions to have somebody that they can talk to. And like you, I was really just explaining to people what I had experienced. And it was very much a layman's version of experience, which is important. 
It's very important, but I feel already in the short time that I've been in this program that my breadth of knowledge, uh, professional knowledge regarding um, addiction and recovery and other disorders, it's not just addiction, mm -hmm. the co-occurring co disorders is much broader now. And um, is that what attracted, because uh, maybe, Joan, if you can walk us through, like, so you came into recovery and your beginning was working with other pilots, correct? And people in your industry. That's where all this started, correct? That's right. I'm in a program that um, it's it's called HIMS, H-I-M-S, and um, that stands for Human Intervention Motivational Study, which um, it sounds like a crazy name. And literally, when the psychiatrists and the physicians and the FAA got together, they didn't want to have the word pilot and alcoholic or addict in the same sentence. So they literally came up with this fancy name called Human Intervention Motivational Study, and all it really is, it's a program, um, everybody participates in it. American, United, Delta, FedEx, UPS, um, Southwest, JetBlue, UPS, all, all the majors participate in this program. And it's a conglomeration of um, HEMS certified psychiatrists, psychologists, pilots, and aviation medical examiners, AMEs, those are the guys that give us our physical every six months or a year. And everybody um, is part of this program, and they, they get certified uh, every three years. And uh, so you're a HIMSS-certified AME or you're a HIMSS-certified psychiatrist or psychologist, et cetera. Um, so it was a conglomeration of minds that got together many years ago, several years back, to try to help pilots uh, get into recovery um, and still maintain their licensure, still be able to keep their license. Now, what you don't really lose is your license when you, when you come out and say that you're an alcoholic or you have a substance abuse problem, you lose your medical status. And if you don't have your medical status, then you can't fly. And um, so that time period that you're out of the cockpit is anywhere from uh, six months to two years. It can be as long as two years, depending on... Um, on how your recovery goes. So anyway, that's the program that I'm in. It's called HEMS. And um, I've been working in that. I've been sober for seven years and I've been working in this program for six years. They asked me if I would like to, per to participate and be a part of it a year after I had a, a year of sobriety. I said, absolutely. Where do I sign up? Mm. And, and, uh, is this a pretty active program? I mean, how, uh, how often do you respond? How does this work? Does somebody reach out to you? Do you do interventions? Do you do a combination of the both? All um, of the above. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We have, um, it's a, it's a union based committee. So it's sponsored by, it's, it's part of the, uh, Atlas Air Pilots Union as it, as it is with, uh, other airlines like, uh, Airline Pilots Association Alpha for Delta and all the other, uh, Southwest Airlines Pilots Association SWAPA or, it, so it's part of the union, but um, we have um, a group of guys that work in the program that are in recovery, and our pictures and phone numbers are on the union website. And when a new hire gets hired at the company, we advertise. We let them know that, hey, if you ever get into a situation that involves alcohol and you might be in any kind of trouble, and you just, or if you just feel like you need help, call one of us and they can go to the union website anytime. And there's about 12 of us or, or our pictures and our phone numbers and 24 seven, they can call us. And so that's what usually happens is um, 
we'll get a, a mess. We'll get an email that goes into our, the hymns mailbox that everybody sees that says, Hey, I need help. Uh, that's what I've been seeing the most lately is this uh, email will come up and say, Hey, I need to talk to somebody from your committee. Uh, can you call me? And of course we'll, we'll make sure that anybody, is anybody going to get this guy? We'll make sure that somebody gets to him immediately. Um, and then there's self-disclosure. People will self-disclose and say, Hey, I can't control this anymore. I need help. That's, mm. that's what I, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. So did, when, when you went through it, did you, did you actually reach out to this program yourself? Or did you do this on your own? I reached out to the program myself because um, I knew I was at a point in my life where I needed help. And uh, I knew this program existed. I had heard about it when I had, got, I had gotten hired. Um, let's see, I guess three years. I had been hired with the company for three years when I uh, finally self-disclosed. And I, I looked up, just like I mentioned, I looked it up on the website, got a number, and I called a guy. And that was the heaviest phone call, the most difficult phone call I've ever made, because that was that first step of saying, reaching out, I need help. I, I can't do this anymore. Um, that was the, probably the most difficult phone call I've made in my life, but the, probably the most important one. Sure. It, it, it saved your career and saved your life. Now, let, let me ask you, did you, how did you, once you made the phone call, uh, what happened there? What, w- what was the next step? What was the advice that was given to you? And um, did it work right away? Did you get, well, how, what was the next step? Did you, did you get sober right away or did you struggle? And, and what did you think of the response that you got from the program? Well, it's, it happens really fast and we, and for a reason, because uh, people start having second thoughts when they make that decision. So our goal usually is to get the guy into rehab like the next day. When they make that phone call, the next day they're in treatment. And, uh, and that's usually how it happens. So for me, it was a little bit different. My wife and I had already scheduled our, our 10-year anniversary in Cancun. And um, so the guy that was in charge of the program said, yeah, you, you know, go do that. Um, but we'll put you on a plane and we're going to send you up to Knoxville, Tennessee, to a place called Cornerstone of Recovery. Uh, and that's where we send all, all of our guys Um it's a group of different people, uh, a lot of highly regulated industries. So you have like train engineers, uh, pilots, flight attendants, um, nurses. So if you think of any of the highly regulated industries, this, this place, Cornerstone kind of caters to them. Um, but yeah, the, I went to Cancun for a week and I, the whole week I spent telling my wife about all my secrets of, uh, where I hid alcohol and things like that. It was basically. Uh, running one of the steps, just here's what I've been doing for the last 30 years of my life, which a lot of it she knew, a lot of it she didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so a week later, I was in treatment and um, it's a 28-day program. Um, I was out of the cockpit for, just to fast forward, I was out of the cockpit for 16 months. Um, and so you go through the 28-day program, then there's a uh, intensive outpatient program for three mm-hmm. to four months afterwards. Uh, they ex- you have to get a sponsor. Uh, they expect you to do 90 and 90, so 90 AA meetings in 90 days consecutively. You mm-hmm. can't like pile up three in one day and then you, know, <laughs> you don't get credit for three. I did three know, in one day. Well, alcoholics, <laughs> that's how we think, you know. <laughs> that's we'll, right. We'll do any way we can to get around the system and try to speed up that 90 days, but it's 90 <laughs> yeah. consecutive days. Even if you do three in one day, that's one day of, of meetings. So 
So you do that. And so the whole, the whole purpose of that is to get into recovery. And during that time, you're working with your HIMSS certified AME, your aviation medical examiner, um, a peer sponsor, um, your own sponsor. And, um, that's, that's it. it. It's a process that you have to go through. And it, it takes, takes a while in, in some cases. It can take two years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you meet with someone and they finally give you the go ahead to, uh, go back and fly. I, I'm, I'm assuming that there's a, a board or there's, there's somebody that you have to meet with that, uh, makes that determination that you're, uh, far enough along in your recovery that it's safe for you to go back and fly. That's right. And the, the peer monitor, which is what I do, writes a monthly report on the pilot. So uh, I meet with these guys regularly. I uh, talk to them, you know, like once a week or a couple times a month. How are you doing? How's your recovery going? We're not really, we're not sponsors for these guys, but we're making sure that their recovery is going well to help them get back into the cockpit and fly. And um, so we write a monthly report on these guys. Their HIMS AME writes a monthly report. And, um, after a certain period of time, the, all those reports will go to Washington, D.C. Your package goes up, up to Washington, D.C. And the, the big wigs in the FAA, the FAA medical examiners, um, will, and the FAA psychologists and psychiatrists. Oh, and by the way, you have to have a full psychiatric eval to make sure you're not going to go fly an airplane into a building. Mm-hmm. Um, you have yeah. to have a, a cognitive, uh, a psychological cognitive um brain testing to make sure that you haven't killed too many brain cells and you don't, don't have what they used to call um, wet brain, I think they called it. Yeah, uh, for advanced, like stage four, yeah. Yeah, they would just want to make sure that you have the cognitive ability to still remember the things that you need to know. There's a lot of, there are a lot of things to remember as a pilot and regulations. So um, th- they check that. And so when you get the green light from the psychologist and the green light from the psychiatrist and the green light from your AME, and the green light from your peer sponsor, then you can go back and fly. So it's quite an involved process. The FAA wants to make sure, darn sure, that you're not going to go out and drink again before you go operate an airplane, which is good to know, you know, for us travelers out there, for people who fly uh, as passengers, that uh, the, the pilots that are out there flying, you know, they're, they're physically fit, mentally, and um, if they have a problem with substance abuse, it's been taken care of. Now, did you did you feel that this was uh, in the early days? And I'm sure you had your doubts when you went into the program. Did you find that this was something like people came alongside you and worked with you and and helped you, or did you feel that it was combative, or were you uh, reluctant to work with them, distrustful? What was what was sort of your mindset going into this program? Well, because I had, I, I think having a pilot peer sponsor. It's like you said earlier, uh, the cops want to hang around with cops and the cops mm-hmm. want to work with cops. Well, I was working with a pilot who was also a recovered alcoholic and he knows what my goal is. And so I know that his, that my best interest was, he, he was interested in my best interest and he was, he wanted to make sure that, uh, that I trusted him and that we built a level of trust. So I didn't ever feel any combative, um, stance from anybody. I felt it felt well supported. I did feel like the FAA, honestly, and I still we still do that the FAA takes too long for this process. Uh, most of us b- believe that it shouldn't take two years for a guy to return to the cockpit. 
there are guys that are that are super ready that it's taken them 24 months and there are guys that yeah they need a little more work and they were in the cock they were back in the cockpit six months so it's not a very doesn't seem to very be a very standardized flat curve on on when to get back to the cockpit no and that may be that may be because the 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 faa does not have people that are in recovery and i, I think to me and i know in my own process you know from the law enforcement field you know particularly from the fbi when i when i came into recovery there really was no one else like me that was in that program and right. and it could be ad advising now and of course you know the the, the bureau had this the EAP program, you know, this employee assistance program as well. And they had therapists and they had psychologists. But, but just because you're a therapist, uh, a psychiatrist, a psychologist does not necessarily mean that you understand recovery. And I think that, that for the audience out there, that's important to understand that just because somebody's a psychologist, just because somebody's a psychiatrist does not mean that they understand recovery. And that was something I always advocated advocated for when I was uh, you know, in the Bureau, that we should have people like you and I, John, that were on staff that could work with people, you know, because it would have been nice for me. And I'm, I'm a bit envious of the aviation industry that they have a program like, like, like you have, where they bring somebody else that's in your, your job series that is going through what you go through and you can come alongside them and work with them. I never had that actually. Uh, when yeah. I can, now that's something that we're trying to fix and it's not just the bureau, it's, it's law enforcement wide. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this program with you today is to, you know, anybody that's out there in the law enforcement field, if you're in a command staff position, understand that this is a program that, that benefits you, benefits the public, and um, is something that is absolutely necessary. And so a program like what John is in would really, really help you. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, you know, the, the psychiatrist, or actually, yeah, the psychiatrist that I had, that uh, I had to do my, psychi uh, I had to have a psychiatric eval once a year, um, he was he was also in recovery, so that really actually really helped a lot because I mm -hmm. he felt easier to talk to because I, I know he's been there. Um, and then pilots, um, you know, you, we meet we actually meet with uh, all these folks once a year. We have a conference once a year and uh, brainstorm and share ideas, and we talk about the issues that we have. Um, and the FAA folks, I have to say that that do help and support our program. Uh, they're in it because they want to be in it, and uh, it's a. I, th I think it's a volunteer program for them to be part of the the HEMS part part of it. Um, so, the fact that they volunteer and they want to be a part of it, it makes it more. Uh, it seems like they're more our, our advocate than they are um, our rival. Do you have any statistics? Uh, have you, uh, as far as success rate in in the program. Um, any data that's out there or is that just something that recovery is just too nebulous? Cause I know it's, it's really hard when people say how successful is AA, for example, or how successful is smart recovery or any other program that's out there. It's a really difficult thing because of the anonymous nature of recovery, but do you guys have any statistics? That's a really good question. I don't have exact numbers for you, which I can, I can get those. But um, I will tell you that it's a highly, very highly successful program because if you think about it from a pilot's perspective, we kind of have a, a captive audience. I mean, it's basically, hey, if you ever want to go fly an airplane again, then you're going to need to go through this rigorous program. What 
the bonus in that is, is the pilots end up embracing recovery for the most part. Um, they're, they're never going to drink again if they ever want to fly. And, right. and I don't know the numbers and I can, I can find out the, the relapse rate, relapse rate is extremely low, uh, in the single digit percents. And, mm-hmm. um, it's extremely low. Wow. That's, guys, that's really good. Guys want to, you know, they want to stay abstinent and keep flying airplanes. Mm-hmm. The really good bonus thing about this is that people actually get into real recovery. You know, and I've seen a couple, you know, I, 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 I had five guys, five pilots that I was writing on that I was monitoring or as a peer mentor for. And I would say one out of those five, just to give you a percentage, one out of those five, I would say, when he is done flying airplanes, he's probably going to pick up and start drinking again. Um, cause he's just going to play the game and, and follow the rules and do what he do- needs to do until he, you know, doesn't have to follow them anymore and he's retires and he can start drinking again. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys that I've talked to, I can tell, you can tell when somebody's embracing recovery. Yeah. You, know, some, you can. Some guys will just, yeah. they'll, they'll use the buzzwords and, you know, live and let live. They'll say all the, the, the cliches that are on the wall in the rooms. But you can just tell when you talk to somebody when they embrace recovery. They they're loving life. Uh, they're positive. They love the way things are going now, and they're like, boy, you know, I'm so glad I took this choice in my life instead of on the road that I was on, you know. But uh, as far as the relapse, we have a very very low relapse rate. We have a very high success rate, and part of that, like I said, could be because we have a cop- captive audience. You know, you want to fly, then you don't drink. It's very simple, right? Right. And I think that that's, that's something that, you know, they, they talk about the bottom that people have to have. Um, so those, those that are listening right now, you know, John and I are in professions where that hammer, so to speak, can be kept over your head. You know, it was the same thing with me having a security clearance, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> you, you do this or we're going to pull your secure, security clearance from you. And, um, you know, so that that's that's a big that's an effective hammer. But not everybody has that hammer. And, and, and so somebody that's listening to this program right now may not have that hammer on them. But I will tell you this, no matter what your situation is in your life, um, there there will be something that you lose, something dear that you will lose. And uh, what are they, they, one of the catchphrases in recovery is, uh, keep drinking. Um, don't worry. Because you hear a lot of people say, well, look, I can't, I can't go to treatment because I have this job or I can't, you know, be away from my business for, or they, people have things that they, they feel is more important than getting well. I, I can't go do this because I'm, I'm just too busy. And um, the, the problem with that is that well, you have to understand that when you come into recovery, whatever that thing is that's preventing you from taking the time to get well, you're going to lose it anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe not right now, maybe not in a month from now, but you will eventually lose it because addiction is progressive and it is deadly. You will die from addiction. The bonus is that you will lose everything and everyone that you hold dear, then you'll die. And that's what people need to understand. And I know that that's, that's my experience. In, in, in eight and a half years of recovery, I, I have lost track of how many people have gone down that path and you you will lose it. Now, the thing is that John and I are in, in professions where they pull out that hammer pretty quickly and they and it's a pretty hard hammer, right? And they don't hit it for a lot of people, it takes a, a little bit longer, but that is what will happen. That is what will happen to you if you if you don't get well. And 
there's a lot of pain associated with addiction and um, you will get to the point where you experience enough pain. Now, what happens is you need to, you need to hope that the, the uh, amount of pain, your pain tolerance is just above death because <laughs> that's, that's where we're all headed um, if we keep using. And, um, you know, do you, do you agree with that, John? And Absolutely. I know that that helped me. It helped me. It was, hey, you, that hammer, we will pull your security clearance if you don't get well. All right, it's up to you. You don't have to get well, but you don't have to work here. That was kind of the mentality that they had. Absolutely. One of my favorite sayings by Tony Robbins, when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, only then will change occur. Yeah, I love that saying. It's, yeah. a, it's, just, it's the epitome of my life. And I really believe that the, the HIMSS program for me as a pilot, it didn't just save my career as a pilot. It saved my marriage. It saved my life because, like you said, the eventuality of this disease is death. It's going to happen. It's going to be death before your time. I, you we're all going to die, but it's going to be death before you yeah. really needed to go. Right. Um, and what this did, like the hammer comes down, like you said, um, you know, we need to get you into treatment. But there's a point where you 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 turn. You actually have a, a, a realization that I really needed this. I really mm-hmm. needed this, and. It, I, for me, it happened really fast because for years I had been trying to stop and I, and I wasn't able to successfully, you know, trying all the techniques, you know, less drinking, slow drinking, only drinking beer, only drink, mm-hmm. only drinking on the weekends. None of that stuff worked. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got into recovery um, and got real help, I was like, I really needed this. I really did need this. And once I started living in recovery, facing it, Man, it was an unbelievable life. And now I, I don't ever feel like I have to, to drink again. Now, no. it's not to say we still take it one day at a time, you know, and that's, that's how we live our lives. We take it one day at a time. And uh, every morning I get on my knees and thank God that I don't have to drink again and that I didn't drink the day before. No, I have never met, I've never been to a meeting, a 12-step meeting. We're after a period of recovery, let's just say, say 10 years, where somebody says, you know what? I just celebrated 10 years of sobriety. And uh, now that I reflect on it, if I had it all to do over again, I'd still be drinking. I- I've never heard that. I've never yeah, heard that in yeah. a meeting. Uh, now, I can tell you, I've been to a lot of meetings where people have picked up after a period of sobriety and look back and, and said they absolutely regretted doing that. I've heard yeah. that plenty of times. But never somebody say, you know what? I wasted 10 years of drinking in my life. I've never heard that. Never heard that. Neither. You know, and the level of shame that comes from, I see people that that have left the rooms and gone back out and then they come back and the level of shame is so high at that point. Um, You know, and that's just, just seeing that in and of itself as a deterrent for me. I'm like, oh, I don't ever want to feel that shame. Uh, But I've got... Also, I look at what I've got too much to lose. I got a 13 year old son. I mean, 13 year old mm-hmm. daughter, 16 year old son, and mm-hmm. uh, and my my wife. And the, our my wife is now an addiction counselor. Out of out of all my recovery, my wife became a marriage and family therapist, and uh, <laughs> now she works in a treatment center and uh, is designing a family program at a treatment center. Now, did she start doing that after you got into recovery, or was she doing that before? After she was a she was a loadmaster in the Air Force before. And um, she uh, went to school and got her degree in industrial engineering. And but then 
through my recovery, she she learned that she was an Al-Anon. She was a codependent yeah. uh, Al-Anon and, and that she had some things she needed to work on. So she went through intensive outpatient treatment and she got well first. Uh, and then I got, and, and I say well first from her codependency as an Al-Anon. Um, she got well first and then I got sober uh, about a year later and um, both totally different directions that we ever thought we would have been going on. You know, I'm in addiction recovery and uh, grad school and she is, and she is an addiction counselor at a treatment center um, and designing the family program. So she works with the families to help them uh, understand that side of it. Yeah. My wife is, is heavily involved uh, in Al-Anon as well. And anybody that's listening, I, I really encourage you to explore in Al-Anon family programs. And, and if you're interested, uh, we do a, uh, I believe it's the first episode of this podcast series, as a matter of fact, is actually on Al-Anon. And uh, so anybody that's interested in the Al-Anon program, go back and, and listen to that just to get a sense of what Al-Anon is, is all about. And um, so uh, now that you're in this, this graduate program, how is it uh, i know you you've been in as long as i have so we're what in our third semester second or third semester in this program how do you think that the this graduate program has helped you um both in your personal recovery and how you can help others i've learned um so much about the uh the chemical side of it the brain what happens to the brain um especially in the pharmacology class um I've learned a lot about the difference between being a, a sponsor and being a counselor. Um, you know, when we had to practice uh, counseling last semester and actually sitting down with somebody, that, that was difficult to do. Uh, yeah. But it's given me a depth of um, understanding of what happens in the brain, um, what happens emotionally, what happens mentally. Um, and it, also with the families, the, the, the environment that they, they uh, were brought up in or came up in, um, you know, it's genetic, it's a genetic disease, but the environment plays a huge role as well, uh, whether it perpetuates it or breaks the chain. But um, uh, grad school, so far, just two semesters has given me a huge amount of insight and information on how, how this whole disease works. I look forward to the rest of the the, the next fifteen semesters. <laughs> is that what it is? Do we have fifteen semesters know. left? I think I, I it seems not. like that, doesn't it? Yeah, I think maybe, <laughs> it seems uh, like it. Maybe eleven or twelve more, I think, under this something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, it, it's a lot. Of, you know, I'm like you. Uh, I it, it's funny because and and maybe you feel the same way. The the funny thing about um, recovery. And those of you that are out there listening that have experimented around or played around with recovery and studied sort of the history of recovery programs in the United States, um, you realize that the, that the pioneers of these programs actually were not doctors. They were not doctors. Bill Wilson and Dr. Well, Dr. Bob Smith, but he was Dr. Bob Smith was an alcoholic. And we're, we're talking about the 1930s as well. Right. We're talking about the AA program here. Um, these were not people that had a lot of experience with alcohol. Nobody knew what they were doing. And these were just people going out and 
basically explaining how they got sober. And it was kind of a mixture of medical information and spiritual information, historical information, um, uh, psychology, business even. And it was all just kind of like mixed together to come up with a program to help people get sober. And um, in my case, and, and maybe your case as well, John, um, I, I really embraced the program. And by the way, it was when I really and truly threw myself into recovery that, that I got well and learned this stuff and learned some basic principles. And there's a lot of like taglines and throwaway lines in, in recovery circles that seem very simplistic that um, have really held the test of time and have proven to be accurate. And so what's funny, John, is that as you and I go in further into this program and actually learn the science behind what has been going on with us, I realize like how accurate some of these programs have been. Now, they weren't using the terminology. They weren't getting in and looking at academic studies and, and, and um, you know, uh, graphs and, and surveys and all of that. But back, it's almost like the program existed and then when science went back and verified that it was correct all along. Is mm -hmm. that kind of the sense that – but now um, I can go back and explain to somebody I'm working with scientifically why what is going on with them, you know, why it's going on, particularly when we talk about the psychopharmacology, uh, you know, the, the medications that – and, of course, we have a lot more medications today than they, they had back in the, the 1930s to choose from. But I can more – I'm more articulate in how I explain all of that works. Is that how you feel? Absolutely. You know, in um, the big book says that we're not counselors, we're not doctors, physicians, uh, so we don't give advice – in our AA meetings, we just tell, tell everybody what worked for me, and that's how it works. We hear whatever you know, everybody says, how they, they worked, it worked for them. Um, but after hearing all those stories for so many years, now in the academic classes, it's all coming together. All the dots are being connected. It's all making sense. You know? mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it's exactly the same thing that's it's doing with me. Yeah, and it, and it's and it's a great message. And you and I are both living examples that that if you follow uh, the suggestions, that's what we talk about here. We don't we don't tell anybody what to do. We just make suggestions. Uh, whether it's in my field in law enforcement or your your field, the uh, uh, air carrier industry, it, it's just all, you know people come to me all the time and and ask me, well, how did you do this? And I explain how I did it, and you know you're welcome to follow it or not, and I can explain it to you. But we can't make people get well. You know, you have to want to get well. You know, I didn't get well until I until I truly wanted to. And you can't do it for other people. You can't do it. Right. And I know that in my case that as long as I wanted to keep working where I was working, then I had two options. That was it. <laughs> it's like yeah. a multiple choice test. A and B. Absolutely. There was no C, D, or E, all of the above. It was A and B. And I know in the, the uh, 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 commercial pilot industry that you're in, it's pretty much the same thing. And, um, you know, so there is a path. And I think that, um, you know, that's that's the important takeaway here. And so with that, John, so just as a final note, what what advice, a, a couple things, your, your final advice to anybody that's out there, particularly in your career field, uh, any advice that you would give them? And then finally, how can they get hold of your program if somebody wants to reach out today to uh, get well and you are in the commercial air carrier industry how do they go about doing that? So good question. The, the biggest thing that I hear um, from guys is um, I get a call and the guy said, just an example of one of my guys uh, called me 
three years ago on his way home from jail. He had gotten a DUI, spent the night in jail. And first thing he said, you know, broken voice, he said, my career's over. And I said, no, it's not. I said, there's help. There's help available. There is hope. And if you just stick with me and let me show you the way, um, you will be back in the cockpit flying again. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But my biggest advice is don't be afraid to call us. We're your ally, um, the HIMSS program. Um, as far as um, finding us, you can go to HIMSS pilot program on Google. Just Google it. And it'll pull up the website and multiple uh, drop downs from there will give you phone numbers to call for whatever company you work for. And even if you're just a corporate guy, if you're a corporate guy uh, who doesn't have a HIMSS program, we can still help you. Uh, I sponsored a guy or I mentored a guy that wasn't, um, he didn't have a HIMSS program, but I became his peer monitor and I was able to help him work through the steps that he needed to take to get back in the cockpit. Um, your initial goal at the time is going to be, all I want to do is get back in the cockpit, fly again so I can work, feed my family. Okay. That's fine. That's okay. You can have that goal. But the bonus that comes out of that is you'll get into recovery and, um, and you'll look back and you'll say, boy, my priorities have changed. You know, it wasn't that I just wanted to fly. I'm so glad I'm in recovery now. So um, don't be afraid. That's my biggest takeaway. Don't be afraid that you're going to lose everything and lose your job. There's still hope. Um, just contact the HEMS program. And your only regret is going to be, if there is any regret, is, wow, I should have done this earlier. And I know that was uh, – now, if that's somebody that it, it's out there thinking this right now, the fact is it's never too late. And really, it's just – you just need to do it and get well. And uh, your life will just get so much better. How much better is your life now, John, that you've gotten into sobriety? Uh, just tenfold. I, I can't begin to tell you how much better. It's just—it's not even a hundred percent. It's more than that. If there was more than, more than 100%, a hundred percent, it would be that. It is. It's unbelievable. Uh, I didn't think it could ever be this good. Um, my marriage is happy. Uh, my kids are happy. They're healthy. Um, they're not dealing with a, an alcoholic father anymore. Um, they're growing up in a healthy environment. They're really good kids. And I, I think if I had gotten it, if I had not gotten into recovery when I did, I don't know. Who knows where they would be right now? They're teenagers. Yeah. And uh, and they're doing great. They're thriving. Um. So my biggest thing is I I hope guys that are are not afraid. I, I'm an open book. Every co-pilot that I fly with, I tell them, I tell them that I'm in the Hims program, that I'm in recovery, and that lets them know. And I've actually that's actually paid off later because I've had people contact me through Facebook Messenger and say, hey, I heard that, uh, you know, about the Sims program. How did it work? How how does it work? And I've actually gotten guys into recovery through the back door that way uh, just by being open about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's happened to me as well by letting people know. And I think it helps you in a couple of ways. You know, you travel a lot. I travel a lot. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that if you are in recovery and you're listening to us, I'm not suggesting that you – breach your anonymity with other people that's a that's exactly. a very you know per, you know it's a personal decision you know you right. you're free to do that you're never ever um free to disclose anybody else's identity but you know it's a personal thing i choose to do it sounds like you do too and it has helped me as well because when i travel um it's very common to travel and 
we all know that a lot of drinking, a lot of partying goes on mm-hmm. on the road, no matter what business you're in. And I know it has saved me because then when I got on the road and you're away from your family, you're away from your support group, I don't have people pressuring me to do things that I really shouldn't be doing. And I, it just for me, I have found that that's been something that's been taken off of my plate. I'm not temp- I'm not as tempted when I'm on the road to, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know if you, if you feel that way, John. Yeah, you nailed well. it. Exactly. And that's yeah. part of the reason I tell the co-pilots I fly with that I'm in recovery and I work as a HEMS peer monitor. Um, and now, now I tell them I'm in grad school working on a, a addiction counseling degree. Right. But what that also does is it puts a little, plants a little seed in their head. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be asking this guy to go out for beers tonight. Yeah, um, yeah, because you know, so it happens. Not, yeah, it, when they when they don't, don't do that, me. they always you know there's always pressure. But but I I'm like you. I feel like they well I they just don't pressure me. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we know Taylor's not going to drink, so right. I'm not, not even going to bother asking him, asking him, and that's fine. That's I'm I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Right. Uh, I'll be the slam clicker that goes to my hotel room, and you know you won't see me until it's time to go fly the next day. And yeah, actually, well, honestly, I I don't do that. I I have become quite a movie buff and every city I go to, there's a movie theater. And so you, you name any movie that's out there. I've seen and they are open by the way, the movie theaters. So that's another thing I do. That's get, I have my butt in the seat of a movie theater instead of at a bar stool somewhere. <laughs> that's it. And like you said, uh, we, we do get contacted by, by people, uh, that, that need help. And that's, that's fantastic. So John with that, thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really my appreciate pleasure. it. You're taking the time to do it. And um, so, as we always like to say, that uh, I and John don't represent any group. You know, I know that we're talking about, you know, we, we did talk about various uh, recovery groups that are out there, but we don't represent them. That's, we're just talking about our experience here. That's right. And um, so, we just represent ourselves, and our only purpose in giving any of this information is to share with you what, what we've done, because it's it's helped us, and, and it might help you, too. So, um, if we've said something that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, that's that's fine. Just discard, just, you know, discard that. But if there's anything that can't that you can use to help yourself or others, then then take that as well. So that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way, and we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Um, let us know how we're doing. If there's any topics or ideas that you have, certainly let us know that. Follow us. Pass us along to your friends and family that you think that may be able to benefit from this. And guys, we will see you next time and take care of yourselves. Thank you.